0: And
1: now back to
0: Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. I want to turn a corner and uh, deal with another issue. We have, at certain times on this program, been critical of organizations and companies like Google, largely because of their overreach. And there has been a sense that much of what they do in terms of information gathering, and you know it because you're exposed to the ads that it feeds you every single day, that uh, they're sort of uh, well, big brother esque in in their their kind of influence and reach. And and while that is certainly a truism, um, there can be another side to the story that can actually make the reach of Google across the globe very beneficial. Beneficial in terms of understanding what's happening right now with COVID-19. With some insights, we're joined by a trial attorney who went. One time served as assistant U.S. attorney for Northern California, is the author of the best-selling book, Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism, who gives us some insights now on how Google can actually be a very important tool. And Attorney John O'Connor, thanks for being with us today.
1: Hey, it's great to be with you.
0: Uh, yeah. Counselor, give us some insights to this. You know, we, we typically see Google as a as a, a great resource for, for information, and uh, people turn to it every day. You want to find a recipe. You're trying to figure out what traffic looks like, locate a business, whatever it might be. I don't think anybody even knows how to use the white pages anymore, but we all Google it. And as much as some people are maybe intimidated by the amount of information and data that Google is able to collect on all of us, there are some aspects where that can be very beneficial. Help us understand why.
1: Well, let me give you a few things. Um, How is, uh, you know, there's always this thought that somebody may be tracking you or the government may be tracking you. It's a normal thought. I've never been bothered by that because I know that there are just too many, there's too much information out there, there are too many people there for, Uh, Google to really track in any meaningful way. Uh, I'm not worried about the government arresting me or them giving up information to the government. I mean, if if uh, if I'm doing something wrong and somebody finds out they don't violate uh, constitutional rights, I'm okay with it. But I'll tell you where Google can really be a force here, and we're seeing it now with this COVID outbreak. Google can really help us understand what the world is going to be like because think about it as we go out and we try to break our way out of this pandemic the whole concept here is if it looks like something's getting hot uh, an area is getting hot we do whatever we need to do shut it down quarantine it go backwards a few steps whatever we need to do and we can cool it down but on the other hand if things are going well someplace and the rules seem to be working and maybe we can step it up a little bit also to the extent we start having more and more tests Google can be a great aggregator of tests and can give us information about you know really herd immunity really when you get right down to it we can use Google for that once we get Google together with the results we have from the testing and we can find out where we have herd immunity we can do it statistically. We can figure out, for example, it may well be like right now when we're going out right now, Craig, into the world. Uh, and we're going back to the economy, I should say. If everybody below 44, for example, is not really that cohort, is not really much of a problem based on statistics. And Google can help us with that. Uh, you know, maybe we can say, hey, this economy is open. Maybe you can go into a tattoo barrier if, if you're under 44. Now, it may be a different story if you're living, if you're 70 years old like I am, and you're living with a younger person. Well, you've got your own issues there. But, uh, But we do, but I think they can help us, is what I'm saying. Now, also, when you're talking about China, perhaps, perhaps, now I know Google probably is got its own issues with China and, and it might be restricted there. But the more we can find out about what's happening there, the better uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the COVID outbreaks there. Um, you know, let me do a little bit of a detour on you and, and, and talk about about China. I mean, I think this is a, 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 I don't know what you've been talking about on your show, Uh, on this, but it seems to me that that don't you think that we all have to take a really good look about our relationship with China, what we do there, what we do with them, and what we don't?
0: Absolutely. In fact, I have a guest coming up in the second hour tonight that's going to dive into that very topic because, you know, let's face it, from the time that we relaxed um, restrictions, we began to engage China more, going all the way back to that, that initial historic trip, with Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon, and we all applauded the idea of a cooling of relationships. And certainly, you know, in perspective, this came at a time when there was a very cold relationship, um, and, and understandably so, between the United States and the Soviet Union, and wanting to hopefully foster China, even though also a communist nation, but maybe to be slightly more predisposed favorably towards the United States than the USSR was, to be sure, in our interest. I think the problem became that we we never really fully realized the potential of China. And I guess we forgot to forget (laughs) that This is a communist country and that their ideals are not our ideals and that they were going to have not the collective best interest at heart, but at the end of the day, their best interest at heart and singularly so. And now as we discover, what is it, uh, I think, John, something like 90 percent of all of our pharmaceuticals come from China. We are, as a result, at huge risk because of all this.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think so. I think so. Let me give you another thought here just as an example. Um, right now, you know, if you were to go burn a fire in your fireplace and smoke up the air, people would get upset with you. If you did anything, if you threw trash out in the lawn or if you had a belching automobile, people would say, rightly so, I think. What are you doing? You're fouling up our air. But think about China. What does it do to the air? We all have that same air. We're on the same planet. And if you are uh, – I'm not a big environmentalist, but I like clean air and clean water – and think about what they're doing and we're buying our goods. We're we are putting costs on our producers to have the most pristine production possible, and yet people can do anything they want in China. We have that big big plastic mass in the Pacific Ocean. It's not coming from our plastic straws, a minimal amount is. It's coming from the plastic that comes out of the Yangtze and Yellow River drainage and and to Philippines and other places too, but but a lot of it comes from China and India, and we think, no, wait a second. Those are what economists call neighborhood effects. Uh, shouldn't we be doing something about that? Shouldn't we sort of make them <laughs> clean up their act, or we put a tariff on them, or whatever it might be, because they're they're causing a cost to the to the world. And now we're finding that you know they've got all the penicillin they've got all this they make all, all this and that they make a lot of the steel uh, somehow we got to think about reordering our relationship with them and making sure that they're acting appropriately uh, and I'm in all areas of uh, that perhaps we shouldn't be tolerating if look if North Carolina, if people do something in North Carolina that people don't like, no conventions in, in the United States go there, why should we deal with China if they're persecuting Christians? Let me ask you that. Why should we tolerate a country like that that is or persecuting minorities? So I think we can use our strength as purchasers of goods from China to get them on the right path, whatever it is that we as a society decide is beneficial we should do that but i don't think we're thinking in those terms we're acting because we sort of always acted like this country was in isolation it's not we know that now uh what do we do to order our relationship there was just this lawsuit that you've probably been talking about with china and i don't want to step on your next guess. we're not going to win that suit but uh the the attorneys general are not going to win it. The class action people aren't going to win it. But I think what's important about it is is it does raise our consciousness about what the Chinese are doing here in this country. I don't think this is being xenophobic. I don't think it's being, you know, Fortress America. It's just looking realistically about the harm that they can be causing everybody. They can harm they can cause workers here, harm that they can cause regular everyday people. I think wealthy people are just fine with China. You know, that doesn't hurt them. I mean, you know, that you produce something, the people that own Apple stock are doing just fine, making parts in China. But I think for our society, maybe we are starting to think with this pandemic that we've got to examine that relationship. That's all I'm saying. I don't want to be – I don't want to have a bunch of hate out there. I don't think that's right. I just think we got to be cool-headed about it and say, look, let's just make sure – that these folks are doing what they should be doing as citizens of the world. I don't know. You tell me. Am I saying something you disagree with, Craig?
0: No, I, not at all. I, the, the the only perhaps minor disagreement, and it really isn't that at all. And that is the 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 angle of the perspective here. In that, as much as we argue, China has done this and China has done that. I think we need to be mindful. That insofar as the impact on our economy. Let's use, for example, what I mentioned in terms of pharmaceuticals. China has done it because we've allowed it to happen. Um, we, we could Correct. have, th- through, through work with multinational corporations and through um, uh, trade agreements through Congress and the president, created an environment where we would protect Certain areas that we knew were vital for in a previous generation uh, American defense, um, these days we're learning that we have so much more in terms of vulnerability that we have other areas where we need to be defending ourselves. There was a reason why at one point, prior to December of 1941, that the United States government said we will no longer allow U.S. Steel, for example, to sell steel to the Japanese. Why? Because we knew what the Japanese were doing in Indochina and we knew what they were going to use the steel for. So, I think the failure has been that we've not looked at some of these areas with a a protecting of sense of self-interest here, and so I would say it's not so much as what the Chinese have done to us per se, that that does kind of tend to have a little bit of a, a potentially xenophobic uh, a taint to it, but rather what we've allowed to happen. And I think at the end of the day, we have to lay responsibility of all of this situation clearly at the feet of the United States Congress, multinational corporations, and quite frankly, the the voting public that's allowed this to happen. Wouldn't you agree, John?
1: Oh, I would not disagree with anything you just said. I mean, I think that's very well said uh you know, the uh, we have allowed it to happen. I don't think this is, I mean, if you're making something in China, I mean, why shouldn't they do whatever we let them do or whatever we, and, and that's really my point is we? it's been an easy out for us to go get something produced in China is my point. And uh, yes, we've let it happen. In some cases, we have let China uh, have undue influence here, for example. I think it's 1998 or nine, um the Clinton administration allowed the Loral company to sell missile guidance technology to the Chinese. Now, why should we ever do that? Well, there was a lot of money changing hands from Bernard Schwartz at Loral to the Clinton folks, and it was really pretty, pretty rough. And uh, and so the missile guidance technology went there. Uh, you know, we we had a bunch of uh, uranium. Uh, 20% of our uranium is now in Russian hands, the $133 million went to the Clinton Foundation. You know, those things, I think there's money, I guess is what I'm saying. There's a lot of influence, and we've got to be real vigilant about that. Uh, and I do not think one of my pitches is, Craig, is I think we are not the, the media, especially as to um, – you know, people that they think have wear white hats, they don't watch them. They don't make half of the, half of the politicians accountable. So we, we, we see a little bit of graft and corruption out there that, that is not being, uh, the media is not shining a light on it. That's really my point in my book, Postgate, uh, you know, where I talk about, you know, the media starting with Watergate. And it's really the same today. I mean, like I say, we've had, once it happens, once they have our missile guidance technology, once Russia has our uranium, what do you do about it? Once China has a lot of our intellectual property, what do you do about it? So I think there needs to be, we need to be a little bit more cognizant, and you point out a lot of things, and I think we need the media to sort of step up for all of us to demand that they do less political persecution and more just common sense factual digging that all of us could look at and look at the facts and you know they don't have to have a war on anybody. Just just let us all know what's going on. That's what I think the media should do. And we're not getting enough of that information. I don't know what you think. No, we're not. And, and you, no,
0: I I agree yeah. with you. We're not. And and the other issue here at hand, and you've touched on it, and that is this notion too that not only to act in a fashion that is more protective of our own self interests, but also that we're in a position to be able to nudge a country along in the right direction. If we start to tie some of these business deals into things like, hey, we're happy to do this, but in exchange for that, we have to see less reports of persecution of Christians, which, of course, is, is, is systematic and throughout the country. And whenever Beijing starts to feel a little bit threatened, they, they tend to start closing down churches and arresting people. It goes on all the time. Uh, you know, this current generation may not remember Tiananmen Square, but many of us do. And, and, and to recognize the fact that we are in a position because of who we are as a nation, not only morally, historically, um, but I think also from from a faith standpoint, that we're in a position to be able to move things in a healthier direction that can benefit all of us, the notion of lifting all boats together. And I think it's high time that we start to demand of our leadership in Washington, D.C., that they have to start thinking from a broader perspective, it can't singularly be what's going to be to the benefit of the boards of directors and the majority stockholders of, an, of a, um, a, a global corporation, but ultimately what's going to stand in the best interest collectively of all of us. John O'Connor, I appreciate the time. We'll have to get you back on when we, get to, we dive in a little bit deeper on topics of this sort. There is a Bay Area practicing attorney. John O'Connor. His book, Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, uncovered Watergate, or covered up rather Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. Check it out, available through Amazon.com. All right, 610, let's get you updated on some traffic here.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: In the 1970s, it was considered a remarkable accomplishment, the easing of tensions between China and the West, and specifically China and the United States. This on the heels of a historic visit to China by then-Secretary of State Henry Kissinger and President Richard Nixon. To be sure, it opened dialogue and opened doors of opportunity. But as we fast forward 40-some years later, the question now is, has that door of opportunity opened so wide that has slammed another door on countries like America and the rest of the Western world. Joining me now with some insights to this is Brigitte Gabriel. She is, of course, the chairman of ACT for America, the largest national security grassroots organization with over one million members. She's also a best-selling author and considered to be one of the leading experts on the spread of global Islamic terrorism. And Brigitte, always great to have you on the program. Uh, thank you, Greg. I'm delighted to be back with you. Let's talk about this. You know, I, I recall back in the 1970s when Richard Nixon, Henry Kissinger began dialogue with China, and we thought, wow, isn't this amazing? China had been kind of isolated from the rest of the world post-World War II, now beginning to sort of emerge from the confines of rigid communism and began the dialogue with the West, and certainly, as we saw later on in the ensuing decades, more trade relations relationships, more normal relationships as we might have with any other working partner in the West. But somewhere, somehow, this got way off track, almost to the point where, looking back on it, it seems as if we sort of handed the keys to the kingdom over.
2: What happened? Uh, that's exactly where we went wrong by normalizing relations with China and empowering China and it's like you know Nixon cannot see what he has caused the world right now but I wonder what Kissinger is thinking Uh, yes that all has changed and you know it started with uh, Nixon and Kissinger but it didn't end there even under President Clinton remember despite warning in 2000 at that time outgoing President Bill Clinton and Congress continued to base uh, uh, prioritized cheap labor over the American supply chain and the threat of an increasingly authoritative China, because we knew what they were doing to their own people. We knew the abuse that they were doing to their own people. We know the Chinese Communist Party is in charge. That despite that, 237 members of the House voted for legislation at that time that skated through the Senate and normalized trade with China, allowing basically our rival to become the global powerhouse It is today. And look what we are going through today, Craig. I mean, not only the United States, but the entire world. And that's exactly why our leaders today have a responsibility, and we as citizens have a responsibility to hold our elected officials responsible and launch an investigation into China and bring manufacturing back to the United States of America. And I encourage those who are listening right now, we have a petition on our our website, actforamerica.org, actforamerica.org. We have a petition to investigate China and hold China accountable, and I urge everyone listening to go right now and sign that petition.
0: Help us understand something here. We as a nation were engaged in a multi-decade long, in fact, I think all told it was something like 77-year-long Cold War between the United States and and the former Soviet Union, and we long held that we were morally, religiously, politically, economically, ideologically at the polar opposite of so much of what the Soviet Union stood for. And so America steadfastly, over all of those decades, and certainly in a post-World War II environment, hold fast our position regarding the Soviet Union Suddenly, though, as we began to see relations between the United States and China thaw and we engaged in more trade, more dialogue, more exchange, it seems as if we forgot that they also held the same sort of ideals from a communist standpoint, the same ideals that ran contrarian to everything that America has historically stood for since the pilgrims came here in the 1600s. Why such a significant disconnect? Why did we go from being what had been historically the number one opposition to communism in the West in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and on to suddenly embracing communist China as if somehow they were no longer communist?
2: What happened, Greg, is our nation changed our people changed. The generation that understood what America stood for and what, our, what America did not stand for were the people who opposed Russia and all the uh, uh, Russian way of life and the Russian values. Unfortunately today, we have a new generation of Americans who are not taught what America really stands for. We have a new generation today that is being taught lies in our public schools. They are not taught the importance of our values and what made America great and the principles that made America the greatest nation in the world. I mean, look at today. We have, uh, uh, as students, we have people in our country, almost half of our country, who basically want a socialist for president. Look traction that Bernie Sanders had and still has uh, until Biden pushed him over and, you know, the Democratic Party is propping up Biden. Who would have thought that in in, in the 21st century, America, in the year 2020, we're going to have a socialist running for the highest office in the United States of America. So this is the reason why the changing of our attitude, the changing of our education, the changing of the mentality of Americans and what they value has changed. And that's why you see now, you see it reflected with our policy uh, with foreign nations that do not share our value. And look at the cost we're paying. I mean, here we are in the middle of a pandemic and we all of a sudden wake up and realize China manufactures 95% of our uh, uh, medicine, of our antibiotics, our ibuprofen. We no longer manufacture penicillin in America. We learned also that they manufacture our our medical supplies, our equipment. We also learned that they manufacture military products that goes into our weapons. Can you imagine if we go to war and here we have a foreign nation that is hostile towards us that manufactures material that go into our military? This is what the American public learned through this pandemic. We learned that the United States is so dependent on China, we have actually become a dependent of China.
0: But, but let me ask you something, though, because when this all began, there were plenty of people around that survived World War II, that knew what the core war was all about, that grew up under things like shelter in place, duck cover and hold in relationship to the constant threat of nuclear war against the United States and the Soviet Union. And, and so we were aware of all of this in the 1970s, even as this door was being opened. I guess it leads to the big question that in the process... Between actions taken by the United States Congress to ease restrictions, presidents who work toward bringing um, normalized trade relations with Um, China and the rest of the world, like the push by both George Bush and Bush 41, as well as Bill Clinton to pull China into the World Trade Organization. That, along with the lobbying efforts by many of these multinational corporations that were encouraging the easing of these restrictions and the normalization of, of trade relations between the United States and communist China, where we essentially sold a
2: bill of goods, Yes, we were sold the Bill of Goods. And again, while these conversations started in 1979 under Nixon, it wasn't until 2000 when President Bill Clinton, at that time, uh, we basically had a permanent normal trade relations with China. And that's when Congress voted. And that's when we started seeing the true escalation of us depending on China for everything. That's when things started deteriorating. Uh, uh, The older people, the survivor who survived uh, World War II. Our military, who understood what we were fighting at that time, they were starting to go uh, to pass on. And at that time is when we also started seeing the change in our education in our public schools, where American values were not promoted the way they were. Where where our students today are being told that you know America is no better than the different than the rest of the world. We are all the same. You know we we're just you know a little different in the way we live, but everybody is equal. Everybody is. same. Which is not true when you have people in China who are imprisoning their people, killing their journalists, torturing their people, you know, people who are born and raised in America who have never left America because, you know, obviously they never fought a war. This new generation, anybody who's born from 2000 until now, and even when they were young in 2000, all this generation who has never fought a war doesn't really understand how the rest of the world is. Uh, Some of them have gone on vacations, but they have never really had to go live and fight in a foreign country the way the previous generations did and now we are paying the price. And that's exactly why thank you know and way, thank God we have a president at the White House who understands what we need to do with China and why we need to do it and the urgency of the matter. And today thankfully as knows exactly how to deal with China.
0: We're visiting today with Brigitte Gabriel. Brigitte is the chairman of Act for America, the largest national security grassroots organization in in the United States with over 1 million members, information available online by simply going to Act for America, spelt out for, actforamerica.org. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Welcome back to Lifeline, a very special guest today, certainly no stranger to the KFAX audience. She is Brigitte Gabriel. Brigitte is, of course, one of the leading terrorism experts in the world today. She is chair of Act for America, the largest national security grassroots organization in in the United States with over 1 million members. She's also a best-selling author. And today, we're talking about the price that America has paid, and quite frankly, much of the Western world, because of the degree to which we have embraced relations with China. And, Brigitte, you alluded to this just before the break. The idea that we began with, we want to have friendly relations Certainly during the height of the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union, there were degrees in which that argument made sense from a political standpoint and certainly from a global security standpoint. But as we've moved on, big business, multinational corporations realized that there were huge resources available to them in communist China, both in terms of material resources and human resources that could be for the taking at very cheap Prices, which of course would open up the opportunity for huge profits. We began to see then the slow march of manufacturing moving out of the United States and moving overseas, and I think to the greatest degree. Most Americans, without giving much thought to where their products were coming from, saw the cheaper prices and thought, I'm okay with this, not really realizing the long-term potential threat to the security of our nation. As we've discovered, certainly not limited to military security, but even our health security. Were you shocked to discover that 90% of our pharmaceuticals were being manufactured in communist China?
2: Yes, I was, and I wasn't the only one. A lot of my colleagues, I mean, those of us who are in the know, Craig, those of us who live, eat, and breathe, you know, politics and national security and this type of information, a lot of us, I mean, we knew that we were manufacturing products in, in China. We were getting a lot of cheap stuff because of it's being done in China, but none of us knew the extent of how much we have become dependent on China, especially with our medical supplies and our medical equipment. and and, and antibiotics, because we cannot afford as a nation to put our survival in the hands of people who are our competitors, who want to have hegemony, who want to be a counterbalance to the United States, and who are not our enemies. Because here we are in the middle of a pandemic, and just four weeks ago, at the height of our people dying in New York, China threatened to cut off our antibiotics. That is unacceptable. And this is a lesson to Americans. And this is why you are seeing a lot of members of Congress already moving in with legislation to basically bring manufacturing back to the United States. And I'm proud to tell you that Act for America, my organization, has been working with members of Congress and supporting members of Congress uh, in introducing this legislation. We are now behind three legislations introduced in Congress, one by Senator Cotton, one by Senator Hawley, and one by Congressman Chip Roy, and I know that Senator Ted Cruz is about to introduce another bill coming down, as well as Senator Marsha Blackburn. So we're working on these bills. Uh, for people who want to know more information on these bills, they can go to our website, actforamerica.org, and sign up to receive our emails and action alert, and check out our contact Congress, because we will be sending you detailed information when these bills are moving in Congress, so you can call your elected officials and let them know to either sponsor this bill or vote for this bill, because we have got to work together to ensure that manufacturing, especially of our medical equipment, comes back to the United States. This is a matter of survival. It's a matter of national security, and we need everybody's name and everybody involved in this. To be sure,
0: over the last many weeks, the president has been repeatedly criticized for referring to this as the Chinese coronavirus, although we know that in reality that's not an inaccurate label. It's not anything to do with the sense of ethnicity. It's that it originated in China. China had the opportunity to stop it. They didn't. They had the opportunity to come clean early on. They didn't. And as a result, this pandemic now has impacted every continent on the planet, And countries like our own have suffered most significantly with heading towards three-quarters, more than three-quarters of a million Americans that have come down with COVID-19 and over 45, almost 50,000 American lives that have been lost as a result of this. And of course, it's no surprise that China's trying to downplay the impact. We learned early on that even the initial doctor who had said, I think there's a problem here, had been put under arrest was told to basically shut up, there's nothing going on here, which allowed this thing to catch like wildfire and eventually end up impacting the entire planet. So all of that we understand, and I and I think the important thing here, and you've just touched on this, that while we are in this shelter-in-place situation, it is so critically important that Americans get educated on this topic and then be in contact with members of the House and the Senate and not ask, demand. President Trump came into office saying we need to bring back manufacturing to the United States. We need to give a shot in the arm to industry here in in America. A lot of people agree with it. This is something that we ought to be doing. Suddenly, this has really shifted to not just a nice thing or something that would be helpful to put more Americans to work in the manufacturing sector, but literally we've discovered that in certain arenas, this has become a matter of life and death and ultimately could shape the survival of this nation. And I wonder if if truly most Americans really understand the gravity of what has transpired here and the degree to which, and I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist here, Brigitte, but the degree to which we are at, at liability, at risk for the survival of our nation because we've allowed so much to be handed over to communist China.
2: The majority of our nation is waking up, at least those who do not watch CNN and MSNBC, Craig, because they see it, they get it. This was a wake-up call. This was a shake-up to the United States. Uh, and like, like we just said, most of the people had no idea how dependent we were on China, that our antibiotics are manufactured on China. Just think about how many people in America are dependent on all these pills that they are taking, on all these medications that they are taking. We cannot Afford to continue doing business as business was done, as usual. And this is the perfect time for the American public to start speaking up. This is the perfect time for the American public to start calling their elected officials, emailing their elected officials. If you've never made a call or an email to your elected officials, this is the time and this is the reason to do it. And we make it very easy for you. You know, on our website, actforamerica.org, when people click on Contact Congress, you enter your zip code, uh, we will give you the name of your elected official, their email, their address, their phone number, in Congress as well as in your district. We even have a pre-written letter for you. All you have to do is add your name, and with the click of a button, it could be sent to your elected official. Now is the time. While, while the subject is hot, while everybody's talking about it, while it's fresh in our mind, and while we are still in quarantine, Craig, I mean, just think about how many people in our nation, how many states, people are locked up. Uh, now is the time. Well, everybody uh, is interested, focused on this issue to make sure we pass the legislation that we need to pass in order for us to become uh, independent of China. This year is so vital for the future of our country. You know, elections matter. Elections have consequences. And this is why it is important to elect leaders who put America's interest first and the interest of the American people first before anybody else. And this is exactly the type of leaders we need to be electing this next November. Americans who care about America and care about the American people before anybody else in the world.
0: Do we also, perhaps, Brigitte, need to send a message to corporate America? And and I ask that question because certainly some of this most naturally has to take place with the permission of of the United States Congress, but in addition to that, we've seen so many American corporations chase profits by driving manufacturing and sourcing overseas, and I understand. They're trying to make money, they're trying to grow in order to benefit the shareholders, I, I, I get that, but there have been unintended consequences as a result of all of this, and I'm just wondering if Americans need to, with their pocketbooks, or as the old saying goes, vote with their feet, send a message to some of these multinational corporations that have shifted all of the focus of manufacturing and sourcing to China, ultimately to the detriment of the United States. Do we need to send them a message as well that we're not going to buy their products or use their services if they continue to put America at such grave risk?
2: Oh, absolutely. Not only we need to send them this message, but it's interesting you bring this point up because as we speak... uh, Act for America, my organization, we are compiling a list right now of all companies that make products in the United States. It's titled Made in America, a National Security Priority. And we are dividing them by section, whether it's uh, uh, computers, furniture, uh, clothing, beauty supplies, you name it. We are putting the list together as you and I are speaking right now. And we have compiled a major list that we're going to be putting out, uh, doing a whole social campaign about it on our website, sending it to our members, saying support businesses that are made in the United States and buy these products. And look, Greg, I am sure you and I and all of our listeners will have no problem paying an extra dollars, extra five dollars for a t-shirt or whatever it is we're buying to make sure that America is prospering, our businesses are secure, and our people are employed and making money, and we are completely dependent on ourselves and helping each other and our country and our people. We will have no problem paying the extra five dollars for a t-shirt. I think, again, this was a wake-up call and the country is ready. Maybe they were not ready to do that a year ago, but now, after what we've been through, America is ready to invest in America, and we're going to help them do that, and we're going to let the market drive the decision-making to show uh, 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 suppliers and retailers that the American public is willing to support Made in America and not support people who are selling their soul to benefit another country. The list is coming out by the end of this week, if not by the weekend. Uh, Make sure you check our website or sign up to receive it directly at foramerica.org.
0: And certainly at the end of the day, this nation's roots are in the very heart of independence and self reliance. And um, perhaps we need to revisit and take a sense of, of account, both personally as individuals and as a nation, as to how reliant we've become on other nations and revisit, recapture, and renew our own sense of independence. Brigitte Gabriel, again, who is the president chair of Act for America, that petition that she referred to earlier to America's leaders is available on the website at actforamerica.org. That's act for, the word spelled out, F-O-R, actforamerica.org. Brigitte Gabriel, we appreciate the time and the update. Uh, Thank you
2: so much. Glad to be with you.